Kilda and welcome to part two with Todd Funk. If you missed part one, make sure you can go and check it out. Um, Todd, who has a background in biological science, he was a science teacher for many years, um, talked about the scientific evidences that there are out there for a designer. Um, I asked him questions about evolution and the fossil record, things like that. So if that's something that interests you, make sure you go and check that out. I released a few days ago. Um, this time, um, part two, Todd's talking about the historical evidences that are out there in terms of Jesus, did he rise from the dead, um, archaeological findings that cor- corroborate what happens in the Bible. I asked him, you know, how do we know this is all legitimate from a historical point of view? And he's gone and given some pretty interesting answers. So if, if you're like me and you have these questions on your mind, um, how do we know out of all religions that, you know, the one of the Bible or Christianity, how do we know that could be legit? Well, Todd, he comes from the point of view of not ex- not just experience and personal experience, and that's how he feels, that kind of thing, but from facts. Um, and like I said last time, this, this podcast is simply Todd laying out facts um, as they've been found, and it's up to you to do with those facts what you want. Um, and I know that's ex- certainly what happened to me when I had this conversation. So... Part two with Todd Funk. I hope you enjoy it. Namahi. So Todd, um, yeah, part part one is pretty awesome, and part two is one of those questions that I guess in this whole conversation really intrigued and interests me. We've got all these different worldviews, and if we're establishing that theism could be scientifically legitimate, how do we narrow down historically, I guess, the context of Christianity as opposed to, you know, whatever else there right. is out there? Right. And, and you know, you said, well, we'll leave science behind. But but for my brain, I can't. I, can't, I can leave science behind, but I can't leave, leave logic and rationality. I can't all of a sudden make a blind leap and say, okay, eeny, meeny, miny, mo, I'm going to be a Christian. <laughs> yeah, it's good. God. It, it's got to be more objective for me. And, you know, for many Christians, you'd ask them, well, why are you a Christian? And they wouldn't have a good answer for it. Well, maybe because my parents were Christian or because, you know, my life wasn't going well. And I, I prayed this prayer and things seemed to get better or all my friends are Christian or, you know, whatever, a myriad of things. But for me, <clears throat> Christianity needs to be an objectively based thing. Um, and it boils down to, and the Bible will say as much, that, that it boils down to the resurrection of Christ. If Jesus really did not raise from the dead, then Christianity is no different than any other religion out there. It's no different than any social club. Instead of being at church uh, on a Sunday <laughs> morning, you might as well be out there golfing right. or rock climbing or anything else. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. So you're saying then there is a, I guess, center point of which this all hinges on, and if if this doesn't hold the test of time or I guess the scrutiny, then we're all loonies. Well, that, that's correct. I mean, if Jesus did rise from the dead, that that says a lot. That proves a lot. He is God. He is to be listened to. When somebody rises from the dead, my rule of thumb is I better listen to him. <laughs> yeah, you might, <laughs> yeah, you might have something to say. Um, exactly. Well, I think I don't really need to or want to go into, I guess, how do we know Jesus was a real person? You might even have a, a really quick answer for that, but I think it's pretty well established in knowing that Jesus was somebody that walked the earth, right? Yeah, exactly. So, uh, uh, 
unless you're also of the persuasion that the earth is really a flat earth, then, then I, I got no hope. I got no time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, you may as well turn off now and save yeah. yourself an hour. And, and I put, I literally, jokingly, but literally put them in the same category. There's no bona fide scholars of history which would make <laughs> that claim. You don't find it. You don't find it. Okay. So we're established Jesus as a person. Now we are, yeah. I, what I want to establish is how do you know that he is, I guess, the son of God and how do you know he rose from the dead? Because, mate, this happened two and a half thousand years ago or however long it was. Um, it's pretty, um, yeah, it's pretty, none of us were around back then, put it that way. No, no, no. And, you know, <clears throat> the common answer where, where, where most people would give and, and, you know, is, well, I've seen miracles. My life is a miracle. My back was healed. My life was healed. I got delivered of drugs. Those are all valid reasons. You know what? I should never, if that really happened to you, if Jesus appeared to you, if Jesus spoke to you, if Jesus, you know, gave you a peace that, that in the midst of your chaotic life, then great, good on you. Fantastic. May no one ever steal that from you. But to the rest of the world around you that haven't had that experience, they need a little bit more. And so, like you said, it did happen 2,000 years ago. <clears throat> but there's a lot of things that, that, that you know, happened several thousand years ago that, that we take as historically accurate, that Alexander the Great conquered the known world before the age of 30. Right, yeah. Sure, yeah, I mean, you don't question that. Um, now, of course, Christ made larger claims than Alexander the Great, but we can know history. Okay. So when we look back, let's examine um, the accounts around Jesus's life, death, and resurrection like we would his other historical facts and come up with the best explanation. There was a guy named, is a guy named Gary Habermas. Have you heard of Gary Habermas, Bradley? I think I have. Yeah. Well, this guy, he did his... PhD doctoral thesis on what he called the minimal facts approach. Right. He said he came down with, uh, you know, about a dozen minimal facts that scholars of, uh, of history agree on. Now we're not talking just Christian scholars. He, he, and he dug up the readings and the research of 3,400 scholars. This occupied five, years of his life for just for his thesis he's been studying for 20 he's got 3400 scholars which means they, they they've got a, a terminal degree they teach they've published these are bona fide people if anybody doesn't meet that criterion um he actually does let some of them slip in but on the atheist side on the skeptical side okay so these are bona fide scholars 3400 of them 95 percent of them agree on these 12 minimal facts. Now, right. I'll give you a few of the facts, but it's like the old Sherlock Holmes. He walks into a room and says, well, what about that cigarette butt there that everybody else looks at? Well, what about it? And yeah. he says, well, that's Egyptian and that blah, 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 blah. blah. And, he, and he unravels the case. Conclusion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I love so me a good Sherlock Holmes investigation, oh, by the way. It's great. It's great. The, the power of deductive reasoning. And yeah. that's what... Uh, Habermas uses this, it's called abductive reasoning, infer making inference to the best explanation. So facts like this, which might not seem that impressive, but like that, that Jesus died by crucifixion under the order of Pontius Pilate. Um, okay, that's what the Bible says. They all have no problem uh, agreeing with that fact of history and that the Bible gets it right. That the disciples claim to have seen uh, the risen Jesus. They have no problem believing that. Now, they may not believe that he, he really did, but that the disciples made that claim, that's fine. That the apostle 
Paul. He was an antagonist towards Christianity. He was setting out to destroy it. Um, <clears throat> he, <clears throat> excuse me, became the greatest apologist for Christianity. He wrote two thirds of the New Testament after he claimed to have experienced the risen Jesus. James, the half-brother of Jesus, converted to Christianity after having experienced the risen Jesus. You know, while Jesus was still alive, he didn't want anything to do with Jesus or the church. Well, Jesus, um, uh, that, the, that the tomb was found empty. So all of these things need an explanation. That the disciples changed from cowardly to being bold. That they gave their entire lives. Uh, all of these things require some sort of a mag, uh, uh, what, what we call just a, uh, a, a huge event, something that would cause all these, put, put all these facts in order and explain all these facts. Um, I do this more justice. Uh, the last time I talked about this was uh, as uh, if you go online, YouTube, uh, Google a sure foundation, yep. Eastgate. Eastgate Church, Assure Foundation, Eastgate Church. I think it was 2020 earlier this year. Um, it might have been 2019. I don't remember. Uh, but I gave a whole uh, presentation on, on this stuff, on, on the foundation of Christianity and what all those things mean. Um, and, you know, the, the, the bottom line is, is that um, things like the disciples giving their entire lives for uh, this story of a resurrected God man, that that only makes sense if they really did see him. Right, right. So, but don't people like? I mean, and I'm sensitive with how I say this, but people, you know, I don't know what religion, but let's say a religion where they would yeah. um, strap a bomb to a car or themselves, yeah. and and yeah. and or you know, kamikaze into into things. I know I'm yeah. being really sensitive with how I say this, no, I um, but they're saying, you know they're dying because they're believing they're they're doing what they how how is how would you say that's any different though yeah it's hugely different and you hear that a lot that well people live and die for all kinds of things they believe to be true like what you just mentioned this would be totally different the disciples who were with jesus 24 7 for three and a half years james the half brother of jesus of all people they would absolutely know if Jesus really didn't rise from the dead. You see, it's a difference between don't, doing something that you believe in, but you might be wrong about, versus doing something contrary to what you believe. They right. would have known it was a hoax. They would have known that he didn't rise from the dead. And yet to spend your whole life perpetrating a lie, to get martyred, you know, James, the half-brother of Jesus, was martyred in 65 AD. The Apostle Paul was, was martyred, uh, you know, crucified on his way to Rome. People, and when you say martyred, it meant dying for it, right? Yeah, dying explicitly because of their belief in preaching a resurrected Christ. They didn't die of corona. They died <laughs> because yeah. of their belief in Christ. And I guess, uh, yeah, I guess one way I look at that is... Um, they weren't all together. It's not like they were in a room going, "All right, guys, let's. We've, we're in too deep now. We've just got to kind of die. We just got to go with it." They all died in different places at different times, I guess, and none of them took they that did. back. They were spread out. I mean, doubting Thomas, who said, oh, "I'll not believe unless I, I place my fingers in the hands of Jesus Christ." You know, the doubter. Uh, after he saw the resurrected Christ, he spent the rest of his life in in India, in Goa, India. You'll go there and find a monument uh, to him. He lived there 
he he was martyred there. Why would you leave your hometown, your home people, your everything that's familiar and comfortable and go to a foreign nation to preach about a resurrected God, man, if it were not true? Right. That just doesn't, you, you, I've never heard a good answer to that. Never had even close to having a good answer to that. Mm. Is it possible that, say these guys, these disciples were, um, you know, heartbroken that Jesus had died yeah. um, on the cross. He was supposed to be yeah. the savior. Um, yeah. Is it not possible that there was some sort of, you know, emotional, not, I don't know what the word would be, emotional manipulation or even um, some sort of hallucination or anything like that, that they could have actually thought they'd seen Jesus, but hadn't, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yes and no. Uh, hallucinations, hallucinations, and that's one of the, the main theories out there that they hallucinated their sightings of Jesus. Hallucinations happen to individuals, right? not groups of people. He appeared to the disciples. He appeared to over 500 people at one time. Um, also, James, uh, the half-brother of Jesus, wasn't a follower of Christ during his lifetime, so he wouldn't have had that motivate. The apostle Paul he was contrary to the church of Christ. He was trying to tear it down. He was on his road to Emmaus to arrest and persecute and kill Christians when he supposedly met, met Christ. So he would have um, an anti-motive, if that's a word, to hallucinate <laughs> yeah. such a thing. Yeah. And you, I think, I guess, even one detail that I guess trips me up, and, and we're talking the Bible, and I'm actually – in a moment, I'm going to ask you something that might be a bit of a curveball, but in terms right. of the Bible. But what right. about the fact that, um, like, who discovered Jesus's body at the tomb? You know what I mean? Because isn't there isn't there a possibility that? And I know we talked about the disciples. Why would they want to die for something they know is a lie? But isn't yeah. there a possibility they thought, all right, let's hide the body. Um, we're stuffed up here. Or even the fact that um, woman discovered Jesus lying yeah. there. You know what I mean? Like, there's. Yeah. Yes, I yes. guess contention over the fact that why would they include that detail or what have you? Yeah, yeah. Well, the theory that the disciples are the one that stole the body again it, it ties right into what we just said. So you take the body, you steal the body, you know he's dead, he stayed dead, and yet you live the rest of your life and you get tortured, you get kicked out of the synagogues, you get beaten, you get stoned, you get ostracized for holding that belief, and some of you even die. That does not make sense. That would not hold up in a court of law. The very fact that women did discover the tomb is actually an apologetic, an argument for its validity. Because women's, their testimony back then, they, they were not, uh, they were second class city citizens to say the least. And so their testimonies were looked on suspiciously. They were, they were not allowed to testify in courts of law. And so the very fact that, that it was women's tells us that uh, it, it was simply stated and simply true. If you were making it up, you would have said Peter discovered it or, you know, uh, you know, James discovered it or somebody important, some man, important man would have discovered it. But the fact that uh, women discovered it uh, lets us know that, that the Bible reports it just as it's reported. You know, uh, it doesn't sugarcoat it. It doesn't embellish it. It just speaks the truth of what happened. Yeah. And I mean, we're not saying here today that um, a woman's testimony isn't no, 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 valid, no. but in the context of that time. Uh, yeah. In the first century, it certainly was. But I mean, but the thing that, okay. 
I hear what you're saying, Todd. But what about the fact that, because I mean, the story of Jesus' resurrection is across four books, you know, the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, yeah. Luke, and John. But yeah. they're not the same stories. Like, I mean, they're similar, but, they're, you know, one story, I can't actually, I should have done my research a bit better, mate, and got a better example for you. But, you yeah. know, one story might say they went here for three days and then they went here for four days. But what, But then another story says, oh, they actually, they didn't go there for four days. We went, do you know what I mean? Like, it's, yeah. there's a yeah. little bit yeah. of, um, What's the word when two things conflict? It's escaped my mind. But, yeah, um, bit, you know, uh, yeah. but a confliction a there. Conflict. Yeah, a, a bit of a conflict. And, you know, that's actually an argument in favor of their authenticity. And here's why. Uh, I follow, I don't follow, but but I'm, I'm very impressed with an apologist named um, James Warner Wallace. Have you heard of him? Yeah, I have. He was the, was he an investigative? No, was he a, was he a journalist? Was he a, he was a police detective no, no, or something? He was a cold case, is a cold case yeah, yeah. homicide detective in California. Very, very famous. He's been on Dateline and other shows. He's, he's solved very prominent cases that have been cold for 30 years. And so he knows a bit of a, a bit of, a bit about evidence. He actually came to Christ in his 30s from being very skeptical atheist. He read the accounts of the New Testament. And he says these have the markings of true eyewitness testimony. And ironically, it was because of the slight differences of reporting and angles. He says, listen, I, I have I've done the, the interviews on lots of eyewitnesses to crime. And whenever they have the exact same story, it tells me one thing, they have colluded. Right. They've gotten together, synchronized their stories. But when one guy says, you know, well, I saw two cars go by and a man, and another guy says, I saw two men go by in a car, that's not the importance of what goes on. Who shot whom? What car ran into whom? That's the main thing is who killed it, who done it, not how many men and how many cars. You right. find those same minor discrepancies in the eyewitness accounts of the New Testament. Some people have tried uh, to, to reconcile all of them. Uh, to my mind, none of them with 100% satisfaction. Um, but nonetheless, it tells me that these people were reporting, um, you know, the truth as they experienced it. Right. So what you're saying then is that it's not so much a contradiction, but it's actually um, helping the fact that, you know, whether it be subjective in the minor details, objectively, the main point of the story is still the main point. Yeah, exactly. Don't miss the, the forest through the trees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The main point, right? But, so we're, we're, but we're talking specifically Bible here, and I mean, the, I always thought, Todd, to be honest with you, that it was a, you know, it's a mythological book. You know, you you're telling me that you know the disciples did this and the evidence is for that, and yeah, fair enough. Like you're not yeah. you're painting a strong argument if this book yeah. that we talk about is true. Yeah, is there? Yeah. Well, can we actually yeah. unpack that? Yeah. And, and unfortunately, the Bible treat people worse than criminals. Criminals in, in both here in the United States, uh, well, suspects are treated as innocent until what? Proven guilty, yeah. Guilty, right? Well, if you're biased against the Bible, it's it's guilty until proven innocent. Unfortunately, yeah. uh, it's, it's, it's a backwards way of doing it. And, and um, you know, well, what should the Bible do? Should it levitate off your shelf to prove that it's the word of God? <laughs> Hasn't yours done that yet? Not yet, buddy. I haven't <laughs> seen it yet. Um, but we look for the historical accuracies. Um, and and there's, a, there's a story of a guy named William Ramsey. Have you heard of William Ramsey? He's no. Dead now. 
in the late 19th, early 20th century, uh, there was a Scottish archaeologist and, and classical scholar named William Ramsey. Now, he began his, his um, career as an archaeologist in the ancient Near East very, very skeptical and mistrusting of the historical accuracy of the New Testament, especially Luke's writing. He had went to a school, I believe it was Aberdeen, that just taught that the Bible can't be trusted. New Testament is not, there's no history in it. So he goes off into the field in what's now in a modern day Turkey. He goes into the archaeological field with that backdrop. But by the end of his long distinguished career, several things occurred. Number one, he was honored with, I think it was nine honorary doctorate degrees from prestigious universities around the world. In other words, he was a he was a who's who in, in, in the world of, of ancient Near East archaeology. Second yeah. thing, he contributed so much to the history of the ancient Near East. He wrote over 20 books. He was knighted by King Edward VII. So he was Sir William Ramsey. Well, excuse me very much. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Thirdly, most important to our discussion is the more he unearthed, the more he dug up, basically, in the Holy Land, he became to trust the, 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 the writings of Luke and the New Testament to the extent that he became a Christian self and he completely reversed his, his initial prejudice against the New Testament's writing. He, he, even, he made the claim, he said, Luke's history is unsurpassed in, tr- in respect to its trustworthiness. Because Luke was a historian, right, for people that don't exactly. know. And I discovered this, that the book of Luke, and I yes. think Acts, and I'm not for sure if there's others, but he was a historian that kind of was, a, was with them in that time frame, but he wasn't like a disciple or anything like that. Correct. He was a historian that listed the facts as he saw them back in the exactly. time. Exactly. He was writing for somebody named some dignitary, some Roman, probably a Roman dignitary named Theophilus. You're not going to write a history of things that happened if you're going to make up a bunch of junk about it, right? Yeah. So he said, Luke, Luke was a historian of the first rank. And so there you have, you know, uh, a guy that sets out with a very skeptical and biased mindset, but the more and more he uncovers about the ancient Near East, the more he finds, wow, Luke got it right. The people, the places, the customs, the names, the dates, the geographic conditions, the political conditions. What do you mean by that? Like, could you be specific on anything like that? Well, yeah, I mean, there's been, there was two books that that come to mind. One uh, by a guy named Colin Hemer and a guy named Craig Blomberg. Colin Hemer wrote about the book of Acts. Craig Blomberg wrote, wrote about the book of John. They, they go through it page by page, verse by verse, um, looking for every single thing that has been confirmed historically. People, people like Pontius Pilate and, and uh, the, 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 the Caesars and governors and rulers of different places and uh, you know Herod, all these things. People, places, local customs, names of towns that had since been changed. Uh, geographic condition, topographic conditions, just things that only befit an eyewitness. Right. I don't know if you've ever been to my house. I don't remember. But but if you have, you could describe things that would tell people that have been to my house. Yep, he's been there. He knows where the TV is. And he knows where the coffee pot is and everything else is. Yep. And so they befit an eyewitness, not somebody in the second or third century that are that are trying to report back and make up stories about it right because in terms of the books of the bible how closely written were they to the events of jesus the new testament Mm. um the so jesus crucified in about 33 a.d um the earliest books were in the 40s or 50s a.d so anywhere from 15 to 20 years after the events now that might sound like a lot 
until you compare that to other documents uh, that, like I had mentioned, uh, um, um, uh, uh, Alexander the Great. We don't know anything about him until 400 years after his writing. Really? Oh, uh, yeah. And there's lots of uh, lots of historical figures and events that, that you can say that of, uh, that, that, that it's two, three, four hundred years afterwards. So you're saying that, you know, someone like Alexander the Great, who we all, I guess, wouldn't really doubt the fact who he was and what he did. Yeah. The writings about him and, and his, I guess, his deeds weren't written yeah. until 400 years after it happened. Uh, let me let me uh, rephrase. The 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 earliest documents we have dating close to him are, are some uh, 400 years right. afterwards. Um, but yeah, sometimes. Uh, but that's a whole lot different to say. 10 years later, because the people that wrote the documents would have been old enough to be there at the time, you know? Well, exactly. That's just it. It was contemporaneous. In other words, what was in print could have easily been disproven and, and you know, bunked, called it as bunked by people who were still living and, and around at the time. And that the Jewish people and the Romans would have had every motivation to um, call BS, uh, excuse the French, but on, yeah. on anything that wasn't, that wasn't right and wasn't accurate. Mm. Um, and you got to remember that that the Jewish culture, the Hebrew culture, was uh, at around that time. It was a very oral culture. Um, the students of the rabbis were expected to memorize the sayings of their rabbis. Right. Not only that, Jesus promised. He said, "The Holy Spirit is going to um, remind you of all things that I've said and done." So there was a superintending process uh, over that have they found archaeological evidence i know you talked about obviously the writings of the first-hand witnesses being you know in sync with the with the customs and the weather and and stuff like that but has there been archaeological discoveries i don't know like encryptions or statues or yeah anything like that it's it's almost like you know where do i start uh Every time you, you put a spade in the, in, the, in the ground in the Middle East, you confirm another page in the Bible. Um, there's all kinds of stuff from the Old Testament, which, which was at one time doubted, and yet archaeology has confirmed. Um, I, w- I would refer you to a, a, one of the first apologetics books I ever read was called Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell. Him and his son, uh, um, um, his name escapes me. Sean. Uh, Sean, yeah, have have rewritten it and updated it and stuff. But there's just page after page after page. Um, I'm reminded of of the the Dead Sea Scrolls that were unearthed in 1947, which confirmed uh, the book of Isaiah, uh, it being, you know, uh, um, just just almost 99% identical. Um, It was written a couple hundred years before Christ. The oldest copy of Isaiah we had was about a thousand years later, a thousand AD, and, and they were thinking, "Well, gee, is this copy going to be significantly different than this copy?" There's a thousand years difference, but it confirmed that the Word of God had been preserved with great accuracy. Mm. Um, 1961, they 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 unearthed a, an inscription with Pilate's name in the town of Caesarea, Pontius Pilate. The 1990s, the tomb of Caiaphas, uh, the high priest who presided over Jesus' trial, was discovered in Jerusalem. Uh, the, the people to this day make pilgr- pilgrimages to Jerusalem. They go to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, where underneath it is, in all probability, the, the tomb where, where Jesus himself was laid by Joseph of Arimathea. Mm, that's really interesting, because I think 
I mean, I don't know any of that stuff. Um, the fact that this book is actually related to s- historical figures, historical landmarks, historical events, right? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, you know, going back on just for a second, uh, another reference uh, again is just my own, but I but I did a, a teaching just recently uh, for Thinking Matters organization. Um, these four-minute video clips on the reliability of the New Testament, and I give eight. E's. They all start with the letter E's of reliability. You can go to Thinking Matters under Resources, and the first of the four are just put there. Mm. And what I'll make sure I'll do, Todd, at the end of this is um, put out some of those references. Yeah, um, for, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, but I, I guess then this book stood the test of time, I guess, and um, and historical um, accuracy. Mm. And I guess it still goes along the similar theme of historical context, but what about other religions then? Because we've got the Book of Mormon or um, we've got, you know, the the teachings of Hinduism and Buddhism that um, have stood, I guess, tests of time. And I, and I suppose people would say, and I would have thought that there's similarities. Um, is there a way to, and I also assume, I'm not sure if I'm right, but they have their own apologetics of sorts. Um Maybe then, maybe not. I don't know. But um, yeah. yeah, is there any way to kind of reconcile the fact that there are so many other religions out there? Well, well, a lot, a lot in that question, my friend. I uh, know, mate. I just chuck it in your lap and see what you do with yeah, it. <laughs> where do I start? Uh, I think apologetics is more or less kind of a, a Christian term. I mean, the term it, it comes from Second Peter three fifteen. Always uh, be you know, set apart Christ in your heart. Be ready to give a defense and apologia. Uh, a, a reason for the for the hope that is within you, um, and so we're supposed to be able to to intelligently, rationally explain to people why we believe what we believe and defend it against you know the things that we've been talking about here. And so it's mostly a Christian thing. There are some Islamic apologists. I don't know if they call themselves that, but it's kind of a Christian thing. Right. One of the big differences between Christianity and a lot of religions are um, it's it's um, it's well, it's been under attack. I mean, like no other religion, it's it's been under attack, physical attacks with martyrdoms and governmental attacks, intellectual attacks, psychological, philosophical, theological. It's being attacked on all sides from all places. And so we need apologetics. We need some um, defense there. Um, but but a lot of religions, um, they're, they're, sure that there's similarities between Christianity and some external similarities. Um in some aspects, you know, how you live, love your neighbor and stuff, um, but internally very incompatible with other religions. In other words, the person and the being of God, um, the nature of God, what's God like? Is he wrathful, uh, like some would say, or is he a loving God, a forgiving God? The approachability of God. Can man approach God? Can man have a relationship with God? Um, what happens in the afterlife? You have a plethora of different answers to all those uh, questions from different religions of the world. And unless you you pretend uh, that there is no absolute truth, that, that two and two can be four, but it can also be five, seven, 14, 152. <laughs> yeah, my family have always thought it was seven. Okay, well, my... <laughs> but that's the <laughs> argument, right? Well, well exactly. Uh, and, it, and if you want to take that approach, you can, but you cannot consistently live your life that way. Your banking account uh, you put in a thousand dollars today and it should say 1200 or whatever. But if you come back and say it's, it's only $150, well, 
what happened? Well, you think you put in a thousand, but but that's just relative to your opinion. We we just don't live relatively. You know, <laughs> yeah. the light is either red or it's or it's uh you know uh you know green at the stoplight, and and that's what we work by. And so all these religions cannot be true in the same sense. Right, you know? and because I, I suppose where culture is today is you have your truth, I have my truth, they have their truth. You know, that's the mm-hmm. kind of the where the culture is at today. But I guess what I hear you're saying is, well, in terms of how we came into existence and I guess a worldview, they can't, they can't all be true. Right, exactly. And, and Christianity, like other religions, um, especially the Eastern religions, it has a historical basis rather than a mystical or a philosophical right. basis. It has a historical basis that we can examine for truth claims. Um, and in, in any history behind, you know, Islam and, and Muhammad, we can do the same thing. We can do research and find out the history of this uh, and the history of the Quran, as opposed to the history of the Bible. We can do um, comparative comparative studies. But what you believe certainly matters in the long run, because either after a person dies, he's going to go to nothingness like the atheists believe, or he's going to be reincarnated like a Hindu believes until he can perfect it and get it right. Or he's going to face God and, and be held account for, for what, he, what he did and what he said and what he believed in life. All three of those cannot be true in yeah. the same way, in the same place. I guess um, a question I have is, you know, obviously the Bible has been um, under so much scrutiny and, yeah. and has gone through the ringer, so to speak, in terms of is this historically accurate? Is yeah. this um, is this subjective or objective? All those kinds of things. Has yeah, yeah. that same scrutiny been put on other religions? Well, there, there's there are apologists. Uh, excuse me. There are what's called a polemicist. A polemicist is someone who actually goes on the offense and does attacks. There's a guy named Jay Smith. He's a little rough around the edges, but he used to debate Muslims in Speaker Square right. uh, in, in in the UK, and he would attack the Quran, how it's been changed and its inconsistencies and its contradictory nature. And so, yeah, there are people that, that study, uh, you know, the Quran and other, other books of world religions. Of course, Judaism, uh, we, we espouse and hold the same books of the, the, the Torah, the Old Testament there. Mm. Um, but, but yeah. Interesting. Um, and I guess a cool, a cool, uh, uh, I guess, topic to end end on and it's not like it's not just a sweep under the rug topic it's a pretty big one mm-hmm. um and you know in terms of the because i mean i guess this podcast as much as it's i guess aimed at what everyone well not everyone but a lot of people would be thinking it's also the mm-hmm. journey i went on mm-hmm. myself you know you yeah. know the, the the stumbling blocks that's the word i was looking for mm-hmm. um in terms of you know theory of evolution science and yeah. then obviously historical basis for jesus and all that stuff yeah, if yeah. we arrived at a point and i know if, i know for some people people might have turned this podcast off two minutes and thinking oh, i don't really want to hear about that stuff and that's totally fine i mean yeah, yeah. for me and for you and for whoever is still listening at this point i guess it's an opportunity to sift through information that could pertain very you know a lot of importance to our our you know our lives and consequences if that's yeah. true or not um, so that's why it's a topic that interests me and it's a different podcast to what we've done before. Mm. But it's also been cool to hear your journey as well into it. Um, but I guess the last point I arrived at in my, I suppose, journey into into doubt and stuff mm-hmm. is um, the morality, I guess, around God and, 
if if we if we if we conclude that theism is true because of science um and stuff like that and we conclude historically that okay you know yeah. this christianity thing is the thing you got to arrive at a point where okay well is this god of of the bible that people talk about is he worth following or is he yeah. you know because there's questions like i mean i'll throw this one on to you now i mean there's so much suffering in our world todd you know what i mean you mm-hmm. look at coronavirus you look at people dying of yeah. cancer i've had three or four really good friends that have passed away due to cancer um mm-hmm. i had an auntie that i never met her she was eight years old and she passed away to cancer and i know it's not an easy question yeah. but if there is this amazing god who created us all yeah why does stuff like that still happen and i don't know what your answer to that is um if there, if there is one but you know that's yeah. that can be a big turn off you know yeah, it is. It's it's one of the major problems, uh, major stumbling blocks to people either coming to Christ. It prevents them, or people staying Christians because they just can't can't you know um, reconcile uh, a, a loving God with all that they see happening in the earth. And uh, we'll put another link down there. I, I I preached a message in Christchurch a year or so ago. Why does God allow evil, pain, and suffering? Yeah, and yeah. Exactly. Well, same problems. thing, right? Yeah. It was in it was an interview with I think it was Hope Presbyterian down in Rollerston, and it was in the midst of the first Corona lockdown, so it was good. Um, so a few a few thoughts, and and again I can't in just a few moments I can't do a definitive and do it very much justice. Of but course, the evil, the pain, the suffering, um, it speaks intuitively to us that things are not right, that things are not the way they quote unquote should be, um, and that's absolutely right. Things are not the way God created them originally. He created them good. The Bible says, you know, seven times that it was good or very good even. Um, and it, it think the way things are are not the way they will be, at least according to what the Bible describes in the millennial kingdom in heaven, where there'll be no more sorrow, no more tears, no more suffering, no more pain. Uh, and so this is not God's perfect plan. This earth is not God's perfect plan. Um, <clears throat> now, some things can be attributed to us living in a fallen world. And for those that aren't Christian, that just means that, that, that men have sinned. They've gone their own way. They've done their own thing. And as a consequence, there's lots of things in this world that are corrupted. Lots of things that are this world that are perverted. Lot, lots of things in this world that are not the way God created them initially. Uh, whether those be the physical geography of the earth with earth, earthquake faults and tectonic plates and uh, with floods and all kinds of things and the climate not being just right. Uh, also, you know, things like Alzheimer's and dementia and, and coronavirus, that, that things have gone bad. They have gone distorted. Um, so they're not the way they used to be because they should be because of the sinful fallen world. Now, some things can be seen to, to actually work for good or have an eternal purpose and ultimate good there are some things in my life what i what where that happened years ago and i'm thinking god why could you how could you let this happen to me this is the worst thing how could a loving god um but only when i look back on it and say okay i I can see the purpose in the pain not necessarily that god caused it but there there was a purpose in the pain sometimes god teaches us sometimes god um develops a more uh, for us to trust him and become more intimate with him during the pain when you're on your back lying flat on your back the only way where you can look is up it's been said you know when you're when you're down on your luck uh with that Mm -hmm. and some things we're just gonna have to trust god and we're gonna have to wait and see 
Uh, and that's where and that's where faith comes in. It doesn't take faith for me to believe in God. It doesn't take faith for me to believe that God created, that we didn't evolve. That takes no faith at all. The rationale is behind it. But it will right. take faith for me to continue to believe in a good, just, loving God in the midst of a fallen world, not just a world that's out there, a world that, you know, my, my wife, her uncle just died two days ago of, of Corona in the United States. That's real. And he was a, a Christian man, you know, and, and whatnot. And so there's evil pain and suffering that, that hits very close to home that's going to take faith for us to say, God, I love you and I trust you. And, and, and I make the example of, we only know in part. We are very juvenile in our thinking compared to God. It's like the the, the child, the three-year-old, four-year-old that, that can't possibly understand the evil that his parents are perpetrating. Why on earth can he not have ice cream all day long? We have it after dinner. <laughs> why, on, you know, why on earth can I not watch TV all day long? Why do I have to do this terrible work or homework or whatever? Why do I have to have this painful vaccination? I was doing just fine till I had it. Right. You, know, you could go on and on and on about all the things that seem so unfair and unjust in a three-year-old's mind. And yet, ironically, they're not done to the child. They're done for the child out of a loving parent. Right. And so I think we'll be able to make some of those same arguments and get that same aha moment when we finally see him one day. Yeah. And I think the point you made is that it's not like God is the one going, all right, you're the one getting cancer today. You're the one getting, um, losing your job today. I think that's a misconception maybe. Yeah. Yeah. But, but he promises, he says he'll cause all things to work together for the good to those that love God and are called according to his purposes. And so we got to hold on to that. Yeah. And I think one put off too, and I guess it's um, maybe one of the biggest reasons um, or stumbling blocks. So I guess the whole topic of this podcast has been stumbling blocks, you know, the different mm, ones, yeah, maybe the ones, yeah. you know, but yeah. um, is watching other people that claim to be say Christian yeah. um, and the way they represent him, you know, you see stories of, you know, pastors or, or, um, you know, we won't go into names or anything, but people that are yeah. supposedly stand-up Christians that are showing yeah. us how to live, and then there's yeah. a, a big scandal, uh, you know, a big sex mm-hmm. scandal, or you know, yeah. a, another Christian. You know, people look. I think that people look at Christians and go, you know, I've done this, and go, well, I don't want to. I don't want to follow that thing because look at look at you, you hypocrite. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well. But we don't we're not consistent in that. We, we will never say I'll never go in a bank again. I'll never accept another banknote because there's counterfeiters out there. Mm. You know, there's counterfeit bills. Uh, there, there are frauds and fakes and, and uh, you know, con artists in every venue, every area, all aspects of life. And, and that's exactly a counterfeit is some is someone uh, a hypocrite, rather, is someone who who claims to be this, but, but actually his actions would betray otherwise. And so I, I, you know, I, I, there are a lot of hypocrites everywhere, uh, including the church. There's a lot of fallen people out there, uh, including in the church. And so it, 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 I would like to say it never seems to, it, 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 it still shocks me, but it doesn't shock me, if you will, the right. things you read and see and hear about. And and I only have to look to my own heart sometimes, my own thoughts sometimes, my own actions sometimes. It was like, sheesh, as much as I love the Lord, as much as I'm trying to please him, I fall short. Mm. I fall short. I fall flat on my face a lot of times, man. Yeah, it's good to have some um, some um, 
yeah, just humbleness and honesty in that, you know, mm. not higher than thou. Oh, <laughs> you know what I mean? No. Um, I've really appreciated this conversation, Todd, because I mean, as I said right at the beginning, I've said several times, you know, this is a conversation. I, I, I guess if I was to market this, which I'm not, yeah. but if I was to market this, is just two people, two dudes yeah. on a quest for truth, really. And, you know, we're not here saying, well, we're here saying, you know, we believe this is the truth and here's why. But yeah. I guess it's for people that have got made it this far. Um, it's up to you to do with what you've heard today, um, you know, right. Um, right. and go on that journey yourself. I guess, what would your parting bit of advice be to anyone that's that has listened to this whole part one and part two, which has been awesome, Todd? So thank you um, yeah. for sharing. You know, you're not just sharing thoughts, just sharing years of knowledge, research, study. You know, you're not just making things up and what you think and what you feel. You've done the research. You travel the country, for goodness sakes, with thinking matters and do yeah. presentations on these things. Um, yeah. But what would you say to the to someone who's genuinely wanting to seek truth mm. in terms of why they're here and what worldviews what and this and that? What would you say to that person who's maybe made it this far and they're, they're thinking that, you know? Yeah. Well, the Bible promises and Jesus promises, you know, if, if you seek me, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart. You know, seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be open to you. Um, and so I can't help but to think if you're genuinely seeking truth, not trying to have an ax to grind or another tick against Christianity, that, that you'll find the truth because it's out there. There have been way too many people that have that have um, discovered that even in unlikely people, your C.S. Lewis's, your Lee Strobel's, your, uh, you know, like. Uh, well, even Lee Strobel, right? He isn't the story with Elise Jobel. He's an acclaimed author and, and defender of, of Christianity. Yeah. But I remember reading his stuff when I first started having doubts if God was real. And mm-hmm. he actually didn't do this investigation because he wanted it to be true. Was, didn't his wife become a Christian and he didn't like that? So he was trying to, exactly. here, I'm going to see that to prove to you why this isn't true. <laughs> exactly. And he was pretty hard-boiled, man. He was a, an investigative reporter for the Chicago Tribune, very skeptical and cynical and as you say, wanting to, to, to prove, disprove it. But, uh, you know, the closer he got to it, uh, the closer you get to the river, the more likely you're going to slip in. And that's what happened to him. And, and now he is an apologist for it there. So there is truth to be found, but truth is not a set of facts. It is a person to be known. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. And so you know him, you, you, you know, the truth. Yeah. So that's cool. Todd. Um, Thanks for hopping on, mate. And I know that as soon as we're out of this lockdown, I'll be um coming your way for some for some coffee and the newest yeah, questions that come on the mind. But um, mate, I've really appreciated it, and hopefully this has um been a really interesting conversation for some people. Eh? Yeah, I hope so. I hope it's been helpful. I hope it's been encouraging, maybe a little bit inspiring. Who knows? But yeah, it's been great. Well, once again, thanks, Todd, for coming on and answering all those hard questions and um, I know for me personally every time I ask a question more come up so um, I hope that this podcast was helpful to anybody that you know have done a little bit of soul searching like I have in the past few years in terms of these kinds of topics and um, if you want any of the resources that Todd talks about in these podcasts just feel free to I don't know send us a message on Instagram or email or something and I can send you some of the links that Todd um, has sent me to have a look at but um, yeah, part one and part two, that's done. And next week, I've got another pretty exciting guest hopping on to share their journey. And I'm looking forward to that. But in the meantime, hope you enjoyed these ones. Namahi.